we're delighted that we have another baptism scheduled for this afternoon. Uh, yeah, so we'll be recording that one. And again, we'll be sharing it with you. And I have a feeling there's going to be at least one or two more. I know there's one scheduled for January sometime. So if you have not been baptized and you are a believer in Jesus, we encourage you. Uh, connect with us, speak to one of us, speak to Ara, uh, speak to your, group lead, uh, your small group leader, and uh, we'll make sure that we can set things up to get you baptized and uh, get you immersed into the fullness of the experience that the Lord has for you. I'm just looking at the time here, and uh, okay. Wonderful. So, uh, are you ready for the Word of God? Not that you haven't been experiencing it, but are you ready for the Word of God? Yeah, I see some thumbs up there. Uh, how many of you know what my favorite book in the Bible is? Yeah, yeah, I see the smiles. Uh, okay, well, we're going to go straight into the first verse of the favorite book that I have in the Bible, and that's the book of Genesis, because in that book is the foundation of everything we experience. So I'm going to share my sermon for Christmas today, uh, and I hope you're ready for it. It is a different sermon than any other Christmas sermon I've ever preached, and uh, I hope that you will grasp the richness of the Word of God and how the Lord has intended for us to, to see the whole Word of God in its totality come together and bring together meaning, bring together a depth of relationship. This is not a word that you read for intellectual enrichment. It does give you intellectual enrichment, but it feeds your soul. The Word of God is intended first and foremost, to be a vehicle that nourishes your soul so that you can rely on your spirit and not your mind and your body. We are three parts to our existence, spirit, soul, and body. Spirit is the innermost being in us. Our soul is the combination of these two, the body and the spirit. We become a living soul. Your soul has your mind, your emotions, and your will. And as you feed the Word of God, it strengthens your spirit to be able to give your soul strength to do what you are called to do in the word in the plan of God for your life. So looking at Genesis 1, I'm going to draw your attention to some hidden things that because of our familiarity with the Word of God or with the story of the Bible, we sometimes miss. You ready for that? So today there's going to be a little correction, you know, some alignment and uh, some correction to some things that we have understood forever and assumed they are correct. Okay, I told you it's a Christmas sermon, right? So as a Christmas sermon, you would expect that I'm going to be talking about the birth of Jesus. So let's start off with a little question. What time, you ready? You ready to hit the uh, survey buttons, the poll buttons? Okay. What was the time of Jesus' birth? Before dawn? At dawn? In the morning? At noon? In the evening? At night? At midnight? Okay. 
Yeah, I know I have Genesis 1 and you're answering stuff from John 1, Matthew 1, and Matthew 2, and Luke 1, but that's good. Okay. Let's get the answers in real quick. What time of the day was Jesus born? And it's interesting because you're giving the answers all over the map. All right. What time of the day was Jesus born? Okay. Two more seconds. All right. We're done. And this is what you guys have said, that he was born before dawn, 10%, 15% at dawn, nobody in the morning, uh, nobody at noon, uh, sorry, 10% 10 at noon, 20% in the evening, at night, nobody said he was born at midnight. Okay. Uh, even though we have a Christmas song, upon the midnight uh, clear, right? So, okay, that's good. So we're, we're thinking, what does the Bible say? And not what does our Christmas, uh, what do you call it, Christmas carols teach us. Okay, uh, another question here. Second question about the birth of Jesus. Who visited Jesus the day he was born? Caesar Augustus? King Herod? The people of Bethlehem? The shepherds? The magi? The shepherds and the magi, or nobody? I thought of putting uh, Elmo in there, but I figured that, you know, Elmo was just a gift that people couldn't, couldn't find at one point. But uh, anyway. was the night before Christmas. Somebody texted. Yeah, Salpi, smart, smart answer. He was born at the right time. I see that now. All right. Three more seconds. Two. Nobody. Yeah, yeah, nobody. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know if you heard the news, but our mayor, Mel Lastman, passed away. And uh, now we're looking for a real somebody to replace him. But that's not as a mayor. We already have a good mayor in John Tory. But that's all. All right. Uh, sharing the results. K Caesar Augustus, King Herod, people of Bethlehem, shepherds, shepherds and, and, uh, and magi, shepherds and magi, and nobody. Was that you, Salpi? Nobody? Really? All right. All right, this is not meant to, to shame you into uh, thinking that you don't know the history or you don't know the Word of God, but it's meant to challenge us to sort of understand where our theology or our understanding comes from. So we're going to delve sometime into the Word of God today. Not sometime, but we're going to delve into the Word of God and we're going to dissect it. So let's have a look. I'm going to share a bunch of stuff from Genesis. Then I'm going to go to the New Testament. And the reason I'm sharing from Genesis is because I want us to get the reality of the cohesion or the cohesiveness of the Word of God from beginning to end. And from Genesis to Revelation, there is a thread that ties all of the Word of God together so that we recognize that He does something and reveals it 
to his servants before he fulfills it. Okay, so that's lesson number one. God is faithful in what he says becomes law and what he says becomes fulfilled. Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering upon the waters, on the face of the waters. You ready for this next verse? I think we all know this verse by heart. And then God said, let there be light. So, quiz. When was the light, not when, through what circumstance was the light created? The answer is, in the middle of darkness. In the middle of the darkness that covered the earth, God spoke light into being. That's a principle. And God said, and saw the light, and the light was good. So God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning, the first day. So we can say that God actually uh, made it look good. So God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to new, uh, rule the night. He also made stars. God never leaves darkness without light in the middle of it. Since the point of creation of light, in the darkest of darks, God always put a light. Stars are there. The lesser light, the moon, is there to rule the night. So the darkness doesn't rule it. In the middle of darkness, in the middle of whatever circumstance you may be going through in your life, where you feel that you're walking through the shadow of the valley of death, or the valley of the shadow of death, which is dark. So in the middle of your own darkest hour, in the middle of the darkest night of your soul, in the middle of life circumstances that are dark all around you, in Genesis, we see the principle that God put into action, that in the middle of darkness, he's always kept the light on. It's important to know that. It's important to know that and to lean on that when you're going through your darkest moments. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and rule over the night. Light rules over day and night. The light that God puts in your life is there so that it rules over your circumstances in the daytime when you are in the glory and the presence of God and in the nighttime when you feel that you have been distanced or separated from the light of God and you are in the shadows. God divided light from darkness. They're divided. There is a divide between light and darkness. There is a divide between the things of light and the things of darkness. There is a divide that God put between the light that is Him and His Word tells us that He is light. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. And the darkness that lurks upon the earth because of the enemy of God, Satan, who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He will always be there until the end when he's judged. But in the daytime and in the nighttime when we're walking on this earth, 
know that God is active in the middle of the darkness. He never, never slumbers nor sleeps. He who watches over Israel, he who watches over you and me, never slumbers nor sleeps. This is the Christmas message, huh? We'll get to that. As a matter of fact, the Word of God tells us in Psalm 91, and we've said this psalm, and we've read this psalm, and we have focused on this psalm a lot during COVID. It's a long, it's not a long psalm, but I'm going to invest the time in this sermon to spend time reading the verses together because I want you to catch the heart of what the Word of God is speaking to us here. He who dwells in the secret place, and I put this picture of a cave because it's a secret place that is usually separate from the rest of the people. It's probably a time when you're going through darkness. It's probably a time when you're confused about which way to go. It's a time where you're not sure if God is even listening to your prayers. But if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, you will abide under the shadow darkness of the Almighty. By the way, when you were being formed in your womb, was that in the light or in the darkness? Not in your womb, in your mother's womb. When you were being formed in your mother's womb, you were in the middle of darkness. And God is always at work in the light and in the darkness. In the darkness is where he knit you. In the darkness, in the shadow of his might, he knit you. And in that secret place, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. Underline that if you have it in your Bible. If you haven't got it, if you open up your app, highlight it in bright colors so that you can always remember it. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. There's a snare, there's a trap that lays ahead of you from the perilous pestilence. And we've used that verse to stand firm on God's promises in the midst of COVID. He shall cover you with his feathers. He'll put feathers over you. And you know what? In this well, a cold winter of Canada, if you have a feather coat, you remain warm. You remain protected from the elements. It covers you up. In Canada, goose is... Not Canada goose the brand, but the Canada geese feathers are known to be the best protection. Second only to God's feathers who will protect you. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wing you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. It will shield you, his truth, but you have to know his truth. You have to come to the place that you eat the word of God so that it becomes truth in you. To become alive in you. You shall not be afraid by the terror of what? By night. And in the middle of the night, when it's darkest, we get afraid. I remember one time I had Luke with me, Remy's son, my nephew, Luke. And at that point, I was at the office, at the print shop, and I asked Luke to go into the room in the back to get something. And it was dark. The lights were not on, even though there was a window that had some light through it from the office in front of it. It was a window between the offices. And he was afraid. And as he was walking, he was very hesitant to go into the room. 
So I said to him, Luke, come here. I want to show you something. I took a flashlight. I turned the lights off. Before I turned the lights off, I let, let him look at my pupils. I said, look at my pupil. Are they big or small? He goes, they're small. I said, okay, now I'm going to turn the light off. And I brought the flashlight close to my face, but not quite. And he noticed that my pupils were dilated. And I said, that's what happens. God designed us so that when we're in the dark, our eyes open wide so that we can see and be more alert. I said, let's try it. Go into the dark, close your eyes for a split second and then open them. And you'll be able to see things that you didn't imagine you could see. So he goes into the room. The light is still off. He closes his eyes. His pupils adjust to the darkness of his eyelids. And then he opens them and he says, I can see. In the midst of the darkness, he can see. Be not afraid of the terror of the night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. When you can actually see the arrows and the enemy's attacks, don't be afraid, nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destructions that lays waste at noonday. When the sun is highest, a thousand shall fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, and it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. It's the judgment of God. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, live in Him, dwell in Him. No evil shall befall you, nor shall the plague come near your dwelling, your body, your dwelling place, your temple. For He shall give His angels charge over you. This is a prophetic word about the Messiah. He's talking about the angels that are going to be given uh, charge over Jesus in the wilderness to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Do you remember that verse? Jump from the high place and the angels will protect you. This is evidence that even Satan knows that this psalm is about the protection of God to Jesus, but also to us. You shall tread upon the, tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Ah, Genesis 3, he shall strike the seed of the woman's heel, but he will crush his head, the seed of the serpent. It's all tied together, guys. You can't understand the word of God until you have a full picture. You need to get into it, eat it up, dissect it. I remember when I was a new believer, I went to one of the Christian bookstores, which are rare to find these days. And I bought myself a study Bible. You know what a study Bible is? It's not just a Bible that has the text, but it has a couple of columns, a couple of uh, commentaries at the bottom. And in the midst of all of that, I was able to get into the Word of God. I would highlight in red and yellow and orange and green and blue, and I would make notes on the sides. I ate up the Word of God. I spent hours. I bought what's called... A Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Because it would link the verses that are related from this passage and that passage. And it allowed me to get into the Word of God and study it in a, in a way that I could not just by reading it. I leaned on the help of others that have prepared things and they encouraged me and they blessed me. I got to know the Word really well that way. And I still continue to use different tools 
Greek dictionaries, Hebrew dictionaries, concordances, all the tools at your disposal to be able to get into the Word of God so that it becomes in you. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him, he says, of him, of the Messiah. I will set him on high, but we are the body of the Messiah because he has known my name. He shall not call upon, he shall call upon me. I will answer him. I will not, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Abba, Abba, why have, 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 excuse me, why have you forsaken me, Father? Lama sabachthaniya. With long life, I will satisfy him. Even though he goes through death, I will give him life and show him my salvation, the resurrection we celebrate at Easter. But this is a Christmas sermon. Where's Christmas in all of this? So let's bring some adjustment to our understandings about what we hear at Christmas time through the carols, the Christmas movies, all that we've heard. Let's align it to the actual Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, John 1 says, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and without him. Not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness. Here it is again. It's a connection to Genesis 1. John ties us directly to Genesis 1, where God creates the light as a prophecy to us to understand how he's going to redeem humanity and all creation through the coming of his Son. In the middle of darkness, there was a light. And the darkness did not overcome it, did not comprehend it, did not understand it. And that's why at this time of the year, we light Advent candles. There's four candles that we light in the four weeks leading up to Christmas. We don't do it as a church, as a tradition. But in a lot of other churches, you find that there's four candles that they light. In the Catholic Church, they light candles. Why? In the Orthodox Church, they light candles. Why? Because in the middle of darkness, I want light. I need light. I need something to remind me that in this darkness, God hasn't left me. God hasn't left me to just wallow in the darkness, but there's a light. There's a little tiny candle that I can light that communicates to me that his son, the light of the world, is with me, is in me, and I will continue because of that hope that I have in him. John 1.6, there was a man that was sent from God, and his name was John. You know which one? Not Ara the Baptist. John the Baptist. This John was the one that was going around telling people to get baptized. He was the one that was telling people to turn from their evil ways. And he was the one that was prophesied to Elizabeth, the cousin or the, the, the relative of Mary. And he came as a witness to testify of what? The Lamb of God that would take away the sin? Yes. The Lion of Judah? The one who would baptize in the Holy Spirit? All of that is true. But here John highlights one thing. He says that he came as a witness to testify to the light. Because we need light. We need light in our darkness. We need light in our lives. So that all might believe through him. 
through the Messiah. He himself was not the light. John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. That's Christmas time. That's the light that is shining in the midst of darkness. So what does Luke tell us? Not Luke, my nephew, but Luke, the doctor. He tells us that in those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus. This is Caesar Augustus. He was the ruler of the then known world, the Roman Empire. He decreed, I want to know how many people are in my empire. Everybody go back to their home. Everybody go back to their village. And we are going to take a census. And he says that this was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Okay, now we need to pay attention because this is the place where we adjust a little bit the misunderstandings or misalignments we have with the real story of Christmas. Joseph, the one who was to be married to Mary, also went from the town of Nazareth, and you can see it here up high in the north end of Israel, by the Sea of Galilee. There's a city called Nazareth. He went from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, and Judea is further south. Well, my finger's cutting off. It's further south. It's by around Jerusalem to the city of David, and that was the city just south of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and the family of David. Hmm. That's why Jesus is the bloodline of the king. Joseph also, and, and he went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. Okay. You're engaged to this woman. And all of a sudden she tells you she's pregnant. You do the math. Yeah, okay, the angel came and told you that God is going to make you pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You do the math. It's never happened before. It's never going to happen again. As much as you love Mary and you believe her, it's kind of wonky. It's kind of weird. Right? So what does God do? God sends an angel that appears to Joseph in the middle of his deliberating as to what he needs to do to remain a righteous man, because he was a man that was following the law. Do I get rid of this bride of mine because she is pregnant, not with my child, because I know we haven't been together. I don't know whose child she's pregnant with. She tells me it's God's son by the Spirit of God. What do I need to do? In the middle of that one moment of darkness that he's trying to elab, uh, uh, deliberate and understand what he should do, God sends him an angel in his, say it out loud, dream. And the angel speaks to him. When does he dream? At night. Is it light out or dark out? It's dark. So in the middle of the darkness, God speaks to Joseph a word of hope and a word of encouragement. And while they were, and so he carries on. And in the same time, during this whole thing, 
Listen to the times that God appears to Joseph through an angel in a dream at night. God is active day and night. Under his shadow I will dwell. In the darkness God is active. This is the Christmas message. While they were there, where? In Bethlehem. The time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And here's the question as to who visited Jesus. You ready? Before we get to that, question number one, what time of the day was Jesus born? The best that we can find is that it was in the early hours before dawn or just around dawn, somewhere between 6 and 7 a.m. And that's based on a lot of interpretation. There's nothing in the scripture that can tell us that specifically, but it's something that through, you know, uh, understanding the times and the, the, the different things that were going on, that was a trick question. We, the answer to that is we really don't know. But the second question, who visited Jesus the day he was born? We have all these beautiful pictures of Jesus in the manger, Mary on the side, Joseph on the other side, and all the shepherds and the sheep and the three kings with their gifts. Listen to what the Bible says. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Interesting how, again, in the middle of the night, the angels are busy doing God's work. God is not silent in the night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. And he said to them, Don't be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy in the middle of the night. Good news. To you is born this day in the city of David, so when was Jesus really born? We don't know, but let's continue. In the city of David is born this day the Messiah, the one who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the child wrapped in bands of cloth and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with him all the angels, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. It was the middle of the night. The angel appeared. They were watching over the sheep at night. They make their trip and they go and they find Jesus. So they went with haste before the night finished and, with, and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the, laying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known to them what happened. Uh, they had, excuse me, they, had, they made known what had, hap, had been told them about this child and who, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd had told them. But Mary treasured all these words. So in other words, the shepherds became the first evangelists. Hmm. The pastors. <laughs> the shepherds became the first evangelists. And, and they proclaimed the good news to all the people in that area. And the people were amazed. 
But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So this is the picture that we have in mind. This is what we always see. The Magi are there. And I have another story to tell you about the Magi and who they were and where they've come from and what they represent. But that's for another day. But these Magi weren't there like we imagined. That's not what happened. That's not at all what happened. Luke tells us, or Matthew tells us what happened. In the time of King Herod, sorry, in chapter 2, verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born, after Jesus was born, not the day Jesus was born, in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star is rising and we've come to pay him homage. When the King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. I guess Jerusalem was like maybe Washington or Ottawa, where everything is set up and, and structured, and the king sort of governs it, and the people are there to serve. But now there's going to be a new king, and they have no idea what this king is going to do, and the, replacing the corruption or the whatever. I don't want to get into all of that. But they were all afraid. So he brought together the chief, chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Messiah would be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem. Of Judea for so it has been written by the prophets and you Bethlehem in the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for you out of you for from you shall come a ruler who is shepherd to his all my people Israel then Herod brought back the Magi that wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared in other words it wasn't that day because they had come from a far place in the east so this journey might have taken him a few weeks or months and probably a couple of years. So they came to Jesus, not the night that he was born, but they came months and months after. So Herod sends them to Bethlehem. He says, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word. So I too may go and pay him homage. I want to go worship him. And when they had heard the king set these things out, uh, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen and its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was when they saw the star had stopped they were overjoyed with they were overwhelmed with joy now i think i've demonstrated a couple of things to you so far that God is active in the middle of the darkness. That in the midst of problems, God is still active. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the midst of a situation that is problematic, God is still active and busily setting up the problem that people are facing. The problem was go to Jerusalem for the survey or the census. That's the problem. But Jesus set it up so that the prophetic word would be fulfilled, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. There's more. Herod finds out, and he now wants to kill. And we know the story. He kills every child under the age of two, because it probably took two years for the Magi to come to Jerusalem. 
So there's a problem. Again, at night, an angel appears to Joseph, tells him to go to Egypt. There's a setup. There's a problem. It fulfills a prophetic word. You know what that prophetic word was? Out of Egypt, I have called my son. So out of Egypt, years later, God calls uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus back out of Egypt into Jerusalem. You're going through the nighttime in your life. Don't struggle. Don't fret. There are lessons to be learned in this daylight that we can apply in our nighttime. And the lessons are that God is always at work. Day and night, God is at work. God works while we sleep. He sends dreams. He sends messages. He sends all these things. God works in our nighttime. God works in our darkest time. Problems and challenges are but setups for God to fulfill his prophetic word. So the message for Christmas today is simple. You can always trust God. You can always depend on him to fulfill that which he has promised to do. Trust God and go forward. Trust God and remain faithful. Trust God and allow him to set the circumstances of what that looks like the darkest hour. And he will fulfill his promises in your life. God bless you. God bless you this Christmas. God encourage you this Christmas. God release his goodness in your life in the midst of darkness. May you see light and may you see that little candle that's burning in the middle of all of it to fulfill the promises of God as he has set things up in your life today and always. God bless you.